Hi, everybody. This is Nancy Novak, Chief Innovation Officer at Compass Data Centers, and welcome to another episode of Extending the Ladder. I'm super excited to be introducing our, our guest today, Amy Swanson, who is an amazing leader and has a wealth of knowledge about topics we really care about. Amy is the Partner and Managing Executive at IBM Consulting. She has over 35 years of global experience advising clients on business strategy and transformation. Amy, welcome to the Extending the Ladder podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm so happy to have you. We have gone over some of the most intriguing uh, topics that we want to discuss for our audience. And I'm going to dive right in. Because, Sounds good. Um, I, I really believe that the content that you develop is unique in a lot of ways, and it resonated so deeply with me on my own career and my reflections and kind of the message that we're trying to give to our audience. So um, yeah, so we're really going to focus on the empowerment of women and, you know, the, the stumbling blocks that keep us from getting to those elevated levels that we really desperately need to be at, not just for, for women in general, but for business in general and for, you know, for society. So number one, I would love it if we could dive a little bit into learning to lead and flying solo. And what does that mean? Absolutely. And, you know, it's a it's definitely a progression throughout your career because the higher up you get, and you've probably heard this before, often it becomes a lonely place to be because you're in situations where you have a, a large team or you have clients where many of the things that you would normally talk to a coworker or a colleague about kind of bounce ideas, you no longer can in the same way. So I think that part of it is just being really comfortable with who you are, what your kind of mission and vision is what your values and principles are and standing firmly in those. Yeah. And then no matter what situation you're put in, whether it be an uncomfortable situation, because there's always, you know, conflict in times where, where things are uncomfortable and you really have to lean into your own power. And that's really being clear on your values and what you stand for versus what would somebody else think or how, you know, especially when you're the leader, right? Sure. Everybody's looking to you to be that model. So I think that's number one. Um, the other thing is, though, because maybe you don't have in leadership the same peer group that you could say, go to happy hour or go for lunch and talk about these things, it's great to have a co-pilot. And that could be someone in your organization, could be a friend, someone outside of your organization. And I do a lot of mentoring with people who are looking for just that, someone where, hey, I want to brainstorm something with you from a leadership standpoint. I love that certain co-pilot, Amy. I think that's really clever. I mean, I always think yeah. about that needing that advocacy and needing those folks, you know, in the room that can amplify what you're saying, or like you said, yeah. bounce um, ideas off of them. And, you know, it's even back to the flying solo thing. I, I can't tell you how many times in my career I've seen, you know, women who are so ready and overqualified, you know, for mm -hmm. taking that solo or that, um, you know, that next step in their career. And they're hesitant to do so based on, you know, yeah. some of the things you're talking about that we struggle with, especially in the male dominated, you know, fields. And one of the, one of the things I wanted to um, kind of, you know, layer on with what you just told us was the whole potential versus credential conundrum, which is um, where, you know, Google, you know, has a great data on this where the, they have a self-promotion policy. And so when people are ready for promotion, they put some, themselves up for the promotion. And mm -hmm. they found that women actually got their promotions way more frequently than men when they put themselves up. But the reason for that was they were way overqualified and they had waited much longer than their male counterparts. 
And I think that weighs back into this flying solo thing of when we're, when we feel like we've checked every box and sometimes two or three times before we're willing to take that, that risk to say, I, I can make these decisions um, as a leader. And then also, you know, good or bad, you know, any decisions better than no decision, right? And I think that that all comes from the same place of looking outside ourselves for our value. Part of it when you're flying solo is leaning into yourself and having confidence in your decisions, your conviction, always keeping an open aperture to hear feedback, but having that confidence. And then to what you were saying, when you're applying for a promotion, we see the same thing at IBM all the time. And also with my firms that I consult in talent transformation, they struggle to get the women applicants. But I think that comes from what I see often in women of this sort of perfectionism. Yeah, I'm not going to step into that role until I'm 100% qualified or 95% or something like that. And so it's it's sort of taking that leap. And it's a balance, right? You want to make sure you have enough skill sets so that you can prove yourself and be successful for your firm and yourself. But also be comfortable in the uncomfortable and not care what anyone else thinks and just jump in. So that's that courage, you know, that sort of braving the wilderness that you hear Brene Brown and others talk about. Yeah. So I'm always asking my women uh, friends and colleagues that I mentor, hey, just be brave and go for it and don't be afraid. I think there's a lot of perfectionist tendencies that we women have. I did for many years and was late to really fully um, access my power. And then once I did, it was like all bets were off. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Be brave, people. I, that's great takeaway for the audience. And I 100% back that up. And um, 99% of the time, you're way more ready than you think you are. So I, I yeah. think fabulous advice. I'm going to pivot a little bit maybe on sure. you know, more, I would say more the human side of things. And I really mm-hmm. want you to dig in a little bit on what, what we do with vulnerability and the power of vulnerability and connection with not just sure. your peer group, but also your superiors. Absolutely. And this is something I learned again late in my career. So I love to share this because I'd like to help others maybe do this sooner rather than later. But you have to be careful. You know, in the environment, you have to first ask yourself, is it safe to be vulnerable? Is it smart and strategic to be vulnerable in this moment or in this situation? And, you know, is it the right time? So once you feel those are all okay, what vulnerability is really about connection. And I was always so buttoned up. You know, I had to be frankly, the most confident, capable person in the room, not expose my true nature. But but then I'm not authentic. And people want to connect with authentic, someone that they can say, I identify with them, whether it be like my sister, my mother. I had somebody tell me yesterday, you're so approachable. You're like the girl next door. I'm like, when I was young, I wouldn't want to be that because that's not powerful. But what's good about that is it's a strategic tool because they're going to tell me everything and they'll be honest and they'll lean in and then I can actually help them and guide them and mentor them. So it's a it's a balance. Yeah, wonderful. So I think that's the greatest thing. And I've been doing it quite a bit, but also for problem solving, especially I'm in tech and innovation is everything. And we have the smartest people you'd ever meet. But for them to say, I don't know or I don't know how to solve this problem is not acceptable. And so I talk a lot about fail fast, be comfortable saying, I don't know, but I can talk about that all day long unless I do it and I model it. Yeah. So we'll be in a, you know, a, a multi-million dollar project and we have a challenge that we can't overcome and we're working day and night and I'll say, no, I don't, I don't know how to solve this problem. I'm really stumped. Do you guys feel the same way? And then they'll be like, 
Yeah. Or maybe not in the group setting, but they'll call me after and say, yeah, we, we're stuck. And then I actually have a chance to help them. Yeah. But when everybody's just quiet and silent and not coming forward saying, I don't know how to solve this or I need help, that's when innovation gets dampened. You know, you can't move forward. So yeah. I really try to create that culture of a, a kind of a safe place for people to be honest. And leading by example that way, Amy, is, is so brilliant. You know, here at Compass, we have the, one of our top core convictions is humility in, pride out. And that is all yes. about the power of vulnerability and being able to say, I don't know, or, oh, and feeling good about saying, I don't know. Um, and, and then using your resources to go and, you know, figure out what the knowns are and, um, yes. and trying to get to the critical thinking parts of how do you ask enough whys to solve those problems. And I, I, I do want to touch a little bit on the connection part because, you know, this is something that, you know, men have really figured out in, on the golf course over many decades mm-hmm. and, you know, centuries of, of, you know, business. And it's having those personal connections by having the connection through vulnerability Mm-hmm. I think makes it better for folks to want to pick up the phone and see the other side of you besides just the professional yeah. side. And that's where I think the, the magic starts to happen. You know, they understand your yeah. tolerance for risk, your sense of humor, your aspirations, and, and then vice versa. And, you know, so that you, you, you feel very comfortable with that conversation. Um, and then when you're looking at, you know, looking at promotions and you're trying to figure out who's next on the list, instead of just understanding how someone does their job, you, you understand more about them in a very, in a absolutely right. Yeah. It's very powerful. I have so many stories. Some will make you laugh where I accidentally was vulnerable and it really helped me close a big deal or drive a connection with a client or an executive. So, well, I think storytelling is one of the best ways to resonate with the audience. And, um, and I feel like we could talk about the vulnerability being powerful and you can see it happening, you know, especially with the, what I would say the women in politics are many times more vulnerable than the men and they get a lot done that yeah. way. But I, I yeah. love it if you would just share one snippet for us about when it, maybe it was a surprise when vulnerability really helped move the needle. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll give you a couple early on and then I'll show you what that looked like, you know, 30 years later. But Early on when I was struggling raising kids and being an executive and balancing all of that, uh, I had a couple things that were funny. One is just got back from maternity leave. The day I was back, I had to go on a, tr- on a trip on an executive call, make a presentation. And during the middle of that presentation, <laughs> this is so embarrassing, my skirt split open and I'm in a m- group of like eight men. And I'm thinking to myself, there is no way I can get through this presentation. I was trying not to cry. Of course, my emotions weren't quite normal. Anyway, I just told the the group of folks what was going on. This was my first day back. And I left there and I thought, I'm never going to do this again. I'm going to quit my job. I got home and I had a PO for a very large multi-million dollar engagement. I thought to myself, they saw my humanity. Yeah, They saw that I'm just a person who's trying to get through life like everyone else. So that was one. That was a great story. I just like gave me goosebumps. That's so good. And then fast forward a few years later, these kids are growing up, but I had like some little kid's toy in my briefcase and I went to pull out my laptop and here I'm trying to make this presentation in a board meeting at a big financial institution and out flies this child's toy on the boardroom table. And then the whole discussion pivoted to how is Mac and what's going on? And we talked for a minute about my child. And then all of a sudden I'm human again. I'm not just a person in here with an agenda trying to drive, you know, I'm, I'm Amy. And yeah. I have a son named Matt. So that. 
those were accidental. But I was like, you know, in both situations, they could see me. And there's nothing wrong with that because I can be smart and bright and talented and human and a mother with a child, you know, all of that. And that's that human nature where the connection matters so much on a personal level, not just a professional level. It's a little more challenging for women because it's not as comfortable for us to just go hang out with our male counterparts. And like I was was telling you on a story the other day that, you know, when I would do offsites with our executive team, Mm -hmm. it was so interesting to me to have them, you know, when we're hanging out on the ski slopes and they're saying, oh, you're just, you're just so different than I, you know, that I've learned to get to know you either in business or through other people. Um, when we're just one-on-one in an organic setting. So I love that connection. And I think the vulnerability is super powerful. So I hope our audience takes that message away. And skiing's a great one. And I did the same thing with hiking or sailing or offsites like that with people where you'd really get to know each other. And then you could laugh about it later and tell the stories about, you know, someone's trying to hike around the edge of the red rocks and they almost fell. And so then you have this history together too, where mm-hmm. you can laugh and joke and be very real and authentic with you. Oh team. yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like, and it is, it's interesting because the organic settings are so, so valuable and so different. It's different than when you're with your staff, with your spouse, with, you know, mm-hmm. when you're just hanging out and you don't have a certain agenda you're not there for business reason. You're just there to go, you know, I'm informal networking, basically. And yeah. topics come up and you have these aha moments of, oh, I didn't know that that was a part of your, you know, upbringing, or I didn't realize that you had that type of experience, or I didn't know that you had relocated as many times as, as you had in your career. And I think this is fantastic. And I, I just wish that we could create environments um, more commonly for women to have those types of conversations because I think they're so powerful. And then that I'm just going to, you know, kind of build more on this, Amy, with the, sure. the humanity and why it matters and how being humble can really help you with your agency and how you do your job and how you leave a mark and, and with your legacy, yeah. right? And I, th- I, I really want to focus, I think, on how through the eyes of our of the female gender, how we can kind of start to change a little bit about how leadership views that power. I think one of the important things to remember, especially as, as a woman or anyone maybe early in their career, could be a man where you want to balance, you want to stand in your power and be powerful, but also have humility. So you need both because if you're just humble all the time, people won't notice you, you'll look like a wallflower, you don't want that. You want to be a powerful presence with humility. One of the best ways to do that as a leader is constantly building your people up, but also always being accountable if things go wrong. Um, so that's really being, you know, a humble person where like even if someone on your team made a mistake, you're there to protect and care for them and make sure that if, you know, things go sideways, you take you own it and you're accountable. Everyone will respect you and look up to you for that. That's great advice. Yeah. If your team does amazing, they get all the credit. And I think that's just a simple thing that I was just raised with and I learned and I modeled from some really great leaders. On the other hand, I don't see it very often. And so I really encourage people to do that. I'm excited hearing you say that, Amy, because I was like, I never even um, occurred to me um, in the past that that is so powerful. I mean, literally accountability for, you know, anytime your team has a failure, but giving them full credit when it's successful, I, that's, I, I feel like I've always tried to practice that. I don't know if it always comes across that way, but I, but I think yeah. it's a wonderful thing to practice. It's fantastic advice. 
Yeah. And it's funny, this brings me back to the first topic, flying solo. There were times in my career where I had a, an executive above me, a man, say, why aren't you speaking up right away in this meeting and making sure they know you did all the work? And I said, it's intentional. Mm -hmm. I'm raising my team up. I want them to have a chance to shine. Right. And then they were like, oh, she, this is a strategic move to lift right. her people up. She knows exactly what she's doing, right. but it wasn't how they operated. And so that oh. I had to have the confidence to be able to push back on that executive and say, heck no, this is all about raising my people up in front of the executives instead of I'm going to show how great I am. Yeah. So those are moments where your people will say, I'll do anything to work on that team. They, they will. Yeah, that's what I call the, um, you know, I'll fall on any sword for this leader because they have my back. Yes. And I, I think the other point that you made earlier is like really having their back when when things go astray or something and just really supporting that team. And that and having that platform and that, that, that support system, if they know mm -hmm. you've got their back, vice versa, they'll have your back as well. Really, really, really powerful. And that doesn't make you soft because I can be the tough coach. I was grew up with an athletic background and I had two coaches. One was really tough and one was really nice. Guess yeah. which one I liked? The tough one because he made me better and he made me grow. So I can be really tough, but my intention is for the goodness and the best outcome for that other person. And they know it. Yeah. And so you can be tough, but you can also then lift up and raise up the people. So again, Everything is a balance, right? Yeah. Be tough, but lift people up. That's that genuineness, right? So you're just being that. Yeah. And it shows, I think, it reflects the, the genuine desire for the outcome to be what the, you know, what the team or the firm or the company needs versus, yes. you know, the credit around it. So as long as the outcome is there, that's what matters. And, you know, yeah. giving full credit to your team is what shows them that you have their back. I, I just think that's great advice. And intention. When you go into a meeting, whether it's you or your team, I always say, what's our intention? Yeah. Walk in with intention because we're energetic beings. And if we walk in with a dynamic intention that's good for the client or good for our organization, people sense that and they just get on board. They don't even know that they are. And, you know, it just changes the face of the meeting. Everybody is more open and collaborative. So I always coach and mentor people to walk into every meeting like this meeting today. I'll give you an example. I was rushed. I was going from one meeting to another. And a part of me was like, oh, I don't have time for this. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's not about you. It's not about how you show up. It's about how you're giving back. Yeah. And that's just about showing up, being vulnerable. I just came from a meeting. My hair's on fire, but I care so much about this message. And yeah. somebody, I might just make a difference in one person's life today. I like that word intention, Amy. Intention is such a great word. I, I was told um, many years ago, that, you know, like, again, decisions can be hard and some decisions are good and in hindsight, some are not so good, but mm -hmm. your intentions are in the right place, regardless of the decision, you, you, yeah. you've done the right thing. And, uh, yeah. and I, I remember that all the time. Like, if, and I'm, and so when I make a decision, I think, oh, that probably wasn't the best decision. I ask myself, did I have the best intentions? And if the answer is yes, then I kind of forgive myself for making a bad, you know, decision that could have been a better one later. I think that word is so important to really, you know, ask yourself that. Well, and we're not perfect humans. It comes back to the don't be perfectionist. You had a North Star. That's your intention. You know what that is. Maybe you missed it, but you always know how to get back to it. Oh, shoot. I missed the mark. But then you're like, how do I get back? 
Right. And, and you know, everybody's focused on that North Star. They know where, where you're marching and where you're right. going together. Right. No, I love it. And then that helps you be vulnerable to ask the right questions to say, well, this decision didn't work out. So let's ask the whys, you know, let's get, let's yeah. get a little deeper into it so you can stay on that North Star. I think that, yeah. that's really good. And I think the thing people forget about in the business world is um, we're all humans that have emotions and that's okay. Especially we should use those because emotions are what make us act and drive change and transformation. Uh, people will typically make a decision emotionally and justify it rationally. So it's okay to use our emotions, but use them in a way that if your intention is right, you're driving positive transformation and positive change. I would love for you to peel that back a little bit because when we get you know, a bad reputation for being emotional versus you know, other adjectives you could use to describe behavior, you know, ambitious or excited right. or you know, passionate, how do we conquer that image? So first of all, I'm going to tell you two things that are almost contradictory. The first one is don't care what other people think, right? It comes back to that. When you're, when you're a leader, you ca- you're checking yourself. What do you think? Does this map with my values and my intentions? So that's first and foremost. But if, if you think of emotion as a tool to drive transformation and logic is a way for you to check and make sure you know your facts are right, your data, you should always be using logic and emotion. I think it's important to learn to compartmentalize things. There are times when you shouldn't get overly emotional and you should contain yourself. But there are times when you say, I'm strategically going to use emotion to make a connection, a human connection. Let's say you're in a heated conversation and there's conflict and you want to address it with maybe even someone above you. I think it's great to say, you know, I really thought through this. This is the decision I made. This is the logic I used to make it. But I think it's really important that we touch and inspire others. And with these cultural things that we're doing, we're not. And if we don't touch the hearts and souls of our people, this company will never compete and thrive. So that way you're like getting to the heart and the crux of the issue at the same time showing you looked at the data, you understand what you're doing and you're not a pushover. Yeah, that's great. I mean, because you bring it right back to the business case of why it's important. But still on on that same pocket, there's there's one other thing I want to uncover here. And that is maybe when you're when you're not using that what we would call emotional decision making process, but you appear that way. So and the story I have, which I love your feedback on. It is um, when I was with uh, one of my regional VPs, a past company, and loved him. Fantastic guy. But I got really passionate and excited on the topic. And I started you know, talking about it. And he said, calm, you, man, you gotta calm down, Nancy. You calm, you need to calm down. And I said, mm-hmm. huh. And I, for the first time ever, I said, you know, when I get excited about something, I talk fast and my octave goes up. And I think it's just in my DNA and you're probably just going to have to get used to it. And what was funny yeah. about that was it just diffused the situation and he, and he was like, oh, okay, so that's, that's part of who you are. And now yeah. I know not to, not to assume something about, you know, the way you're speaking around um, an emotional, you know, content, right? I think that was great because you stood in your own power. You're first of all like, hey, I'm authentic. I am who I am. And I actually just talked to a woman about the same thing last week where she did the same thing with her uh, supervisor and it was fine. So I think that's important. And also have humility. Again, the balance, right? Stand in your power. Say, this is who I am. The emotion just means I care. The emotion means I'm in the boat with you. You should have me emotional. That's a compliment to you in this organization. And on the other hand, I realize that sometimes 
I should probably temper it and yeah. take a breath and kind of see who is in the room and match my dynamic with theirs. So that way you're saying, hey, I'm not going to change who I am. I'm proud of who I am. This is part of my DNA. And yet I heard your feedback and I'll be sensitive to maybe some others could even be cultural. This is a huge thing. Like in IBM, we're a multicultural company. I can't necessarily show up the same way I could in like South America that I could oh, yeah. in Asia. Yeah, very good point. Different cultures take things very differently. And it, what's what we're talking about? It's that perception is reality. And the way yeah. the way people are receiving you, where you know you think you're coming across a certain way or your, your desires to come across in a certain manner, but you may not be re- being received in that manner. So being conscious of that and being able to take, like you said, the ownership of that and, um, and, and communicate that back to somebody to say, this is, you know, this is generally who I am, but I'm aware of it. And, I, and I'm thinking about, you know, how, how you receive me in that moment. I think that, yeah. that's really wonderful. So yeah. I, I do have a, a, a great question um, that is one of sure. the topics that you like to speak on, Amy. And I think this is so important because it's one of my favorite topics. And it's about strategic risk and the, the beauty of being bold. Like you were just, sure. since I'm kind of a deep personality, I think bold is a beautiful word, but I feel mm-hmm. like being strategic and taking risks are both critical to the success of advancing women in, in, in the entire world of business. Absolutely. It's always been my nature to be a risk taker. I just kind of came in that way, but you can be a risk taker even if that's not who you are. So I encourage all people to take risks because really what it is, it's being brave and li- living a courageous life. And so strategic risks are things where you're not going to put yourself in a vulnerable situation that's not safe. Again, you know, you have to be thoughtful about it. You don't want to maybe set yourself up to be fired or lose a job or anything like that. But first you, you get consensus, whether it be your, your executive team, your clients. Do you believe that opening up this process, whether it's like an innovative project or a big decision that will impact you financially or any of those things, do you think that this risk climate would be good for us to innovate. And you kind of get feedback and get everybody on board with. And typically, most people will say, yes, we need to, but we're afraid for this. So you create a culture of risk and you get every people on board with the value of it. And then if you do it once or twice, you start everybody going, wow, we need to be risk takers. Yeah. So I think the first is to create a safe place and a culture of risk if you're the leader. If you're not yet the leader and you want to take a risk, I think it's okay to do it, but have one of those co-pilots where you say, I want I want you to support me in this. I, w- I have this decision, which I know it's kind of an outlier, but here's the gamble I want to take. This is what I think the return is it is on it, and I want your support to do it. And I bet you nine times out of 10, somebody will do it because you took the time to think. You've thought it through. You know it's a risk. And you've sold them on the idea, if we don't get out of our comfort zone, how do we compete and thrive? Yeah. And, and having that advocacy, to, you know, because the strength in numbers, honestly, and yeah. it's also strength in, in the, having more, you know, collaborative ideas and experiences that will help making better decisions. Uh, but yeah. while, you were, while you were talking about risk, I, two things came to mind right away for me. And one was on the personal side and one was on the professional side. So mm-hmm. on the personal side, um, I want your feedback on risks that we look at from a career growth perspective as far sure. as like crossing bridges before we get there. You know, I would I would love to take that opportunity, but what if I get married in two years and then my husband yeah. doesn't want to move? Or what if I decide to, you know, start doing, you know, have a child? Or what if I, things that women think through and they mm-hmm. cross these bridges before they even get to them without realizing that they could probably, they could probably do both. 
But what's your, you know, what do you think about those kinds? I, I love this topic and I'll give you a story again to ground it in my background. I had kids, you know, late 20s, early 30s and was on a tra trajectory then to move up the ladder in IBM. And I thought, oh, I can't do that and be a good mom. So I'm going to, I still had a great career in sales where I had a lot of opportunity to have high income, but I didn't want to be rising the ladder because I thought I can't, you know, have free time to run off and do things with my kids if I wanted, et cetera. And then I waited. And then when they went off to college, it was a fast track up because I didn't, ha I didn't have any of my own things holding me back, but it was only me that held me back. And then I realized, why did I wait so long? Because I have so much more experience than all these people that are even above me now. And I could have been adding value to the firm. But what it was, what my area for development was, is I didn't know how to set proper boundaries. So you can be a leader and you can take the risk and take the promotion but you can also set a boundary that says, from these hours to these hours, I'm with my children or whatever it is. You know, I care for my elderly mother or, you know, we all have life things. Right. So I'm seeing that now and I love it, whether it's men, women, people, yeah. we're saying, oh, I have boundaries too. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. I love it when I see, you know, the men taking time for their kids. They want, they want to be with their families as well. Absolutely. Yeah. They 100% do. And I love that. And a lot of the people I'm mentoring now are the men coming up in the next generation because they don't like the old uh, control and command leadership kind of patriarchal style that was in existence for many years. They like this more what I would call um, open, collaborative culture. And it, it is actually not a weakness. It's a strength that makes us innovate. It's doing the job, but maybe doing it differently. And because and it, it reminded yeah. me again, before I get off this personal risk taking, of a, of a CEO of one of the largest curtain wall companies in the world, you know, he said, I want you to come speak with my women. I have amazing, powerful women, and I just love for them to hear your voice. And, he said, and then he right away in the same sentence said, there's no way I could ever do the job I have without having the support of my wife at home and doing all the things she does to manage our family. And I looked at him and I said, I know you meant that as the highest compliment on the planet, but what you just told a young woman is that she can't do your job unless she has what you have, you know, in your personal life. Um, that's the, that was the, you know, the message behind the scene there. And I said, the fact is, it's likely that she could do your job, but she would do it differently, possibly, right? Yeah. And so, yeah. Um, so that's kind of like that, uh, the words are powerful thing. And he's, he was the aha moment of, that's a good point, you know? Um, because what we do to ourselves as women is we say, um, you know, like because I, and by the way, it's systemic. And lots of men in, in the careers who look at these young women and they think they're wonderful in their careers, but they also think, well, I couldn't do what you're doing if you if I had to balance uh, family and, and job. Um, that's why mm -hmm. I have a stay-at-home wife and that's why I have a situation the way I have it. So then that gets projected onto the younger folks, you know, as if I can't, if I can't see myself doing it, I don't see how you could do it. And I think sometimes that's that implicit bias that gets in the way of elevating women and not letting them make these choices and cross those bridges when they get there. And by the way, those bridges will get crossed, right? Yeah. I think you bring up such a very important point though. I mean, this is a very real thing and I can almost always throughout the trajectory of my career, even though I did delay some promotions intentionally, I was in a room full of men because I was in a, in a technology field where there weren't a lot of women at the time. And then as I grew, I was in a room full of men and I'd say nine out of 10 had a partner or spouse at home that didn't work, that did all the stuff I also had to do. So 
it took me a lot of years to actually figure out why I was disadvantaged. And I was because I had, I didn't have a wife at home. I wanted to, but I didn't. I hear you. <laughs> Once I realized that a couple of things came to mind. One is it's okay to talk about it. Like it's okay to say to, especially if you have a trusted relationship with your, whoever you report to and say, you know, it's a disadvantage for me. I want to take care of all these things. I don't have someone to delegate it to. So I'm going to set some boundaries. I'm a very good person on your team. I'm adding this value. But if I say I'm not going to go to that golf outing, it's because I got to help the kids with the homework or whatever. It's important. So I would also, again, back to boundaries, back, back to communicating. You know what they'd say? Oh, 100%. I didn't even think about it. You go do yeah. that. Take care of Mac and Riley, you know? Yeah. But I was ashamed because I didn't want to be different. Well, like, that's the stomach thing. But I love how that communication is great advice because, again, implicit biases are usually unintentional. I mean, they're unintentional and they're, they're uh, yeah. done with usually good intentions, is what I was trying to say. And so yes. when you bring that awareness about, then mm-hmm. there's the aha moment of, oh, I, had, I don't have those lenses. It didn't even occur to me that that would be, you know, a, yeah. a barrier for you. So I think that communication is, is really, really good advice. Um, one thing I do want to add, though, and this is happening at IBM, and it's not just IBM. I'm on the board of directors for a financial institution, and we talk about this at the board level. In talent transformation, which is huge for everybody with the war on talent, there's a section of women and now uh, young men who are not wanting to step into the promotions. And we need this diversity, equity, inclusion. It's on everybody's radar. But if we don't create a culture where you can parent or you can have outside responsibilities and still raise up the ranks, because this diversity makes us more competitive. It makes us richer. It makes us better for our clients and organizations. So we at IBM are working on that right now to get better, smarter, faster about how do we find this niche of women who are opting out or in now uh, in in dual working families. Yeah. So it's so important. And it's a it's things that we all need to get better at collectively. And it's that talent, that, that limited resource pool of talent is um, is not going to get better anytime soon. There's lots of demand. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's good news, but it's also news where we have to be very cognizant of the fact that, you know, we have to figure out how to balance these things and, um, mm-hmm. do, you know, do more with less, but do it better, right? Because yeah. there's better ways to figure that out. So I, I was going to wrap up really quick, but I wanted to go back to the strategic risk and the beauty of being bold. So we talked okay. about the personal part, which I thought was a fantastic deep dive mm-hmm. on risk in your personal career and crossing bridges when you get there and communicating to your bosses. I want to go back to like the business part, which resonated with me on, and you, and you already um, kind of touched on this, Amy, and it was getting people on the same boat. So saying like, we're going to take some risk. I'm on a really big multi-hundred million dollar project and it feels very, very risky and there's a lot of unknowns and I'm trying to garner this support. So being able to present these options to, you know, the entire team in a collaborative way and say, here are the paths and the choices that we might have. And let's all talk about these and then come to a conclusion together, you know, you know to stay with the, you know, with um, not just the collaborative way, but the innovative way of getting ideas from all different walks of life, all different parties, you know, having the empathy to like really understand you're in each other's shoes. And it could be whether it's in our business, the contractors, partner, mm-hmm. team members, you know, you name it, supply chain, you know, everyone has a different set of risks that they're looking at. And I think that women bring a certain amount of power to having that empathetic view of saying, how do we make everyone successful so that we are all in the same boat, 
and we're all rolling in the same direction. I'd love your feedback on that. Absolutely. So what, what I do for IBM is I do business transformation. So that could be operational processes, systems, culture, change management, you name it. The systems and the processes are easy. People think that's tricky. It, what's difficult is the behavioral change and getting a person to change and evolve and, and take risks. So you really have to make sure you go there and you go where it's uncomfortable. You seek out discomfort and you get to the crux of what that is. And I have a background in system science, which is understanding like an organizational ecosystem. So it could be something like, just as an analogy, the human body or the sea or any sort of self-sustaining ecosystem. Well, organizations should operate that way as well. But if your people and your culture are not going to take risks and they're not even going to expose why they won't change, you've got to get to the crux of that. So transformation is all about understanding what's the person. So you have to understand all the people on the team. And that's typically the C-suite and the leaders, you know, the CEO, the CFO, whoever's doing the transformation. What's their personal and professional, you know, win? And you have to understand that so that you can get them. So nobody's going to jump into the abyss of discomfort unless they get a personal or professional win. And they need both, right? So getting business risks are done if the advantage is higher than the risk. And it's not just about financial. It's about how does this make me look? Am I a successful CEO? Have I transformed my company? Are my people coming with me? Do they believe? So when it's a business risk, it's all about getting to the what's in it for them personally and professionally, understanding it, and then demonstrating it's possible. And then once you do it, bring it back to them and say, see how we made this possible for you. And then you know what happens is so exciting. They start doing that in their culture. And not only have you done a transformation for a client or your own organization, you've just taught maybe a hundred or more people how to do it themselves by modeling. Totally. And that's that buy-in of owning that for accountability as well, but also learning. And then, you know, it's, I, I call it the ripple in the pond. So now that will get shared and perpetuate, you know, um, in other ways. I think that's fantastic. It has, it has been such an honor to talk with you, Amy. You're so amazing. You're so powerful. Your advice is just spot on. And it resonates really, really deeply with me. So I just so much appreciate you coming on Extended the Ladder and sharing your knowledge. Thank you. Well, my pleasure. And I'd love an opportunity to talk with you more. I wish you the best. And I hope some pearls of wisdom here resonate with others and For all the listeners, women, men alike, uh, I think it's a great opportunity to be vulnerable, step into your power, have some humility, and don't be afraid to fly solo. Fantastic way to close it out. Thank you again, Amy. You bet. Have a great day.